Well, if we could, uh, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling uh, this morning, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read. Book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and if we read again, just at verse 10. Exodus chapter 2 at verse 10. When the child grew older, that is Moses, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. She named him Moses, because I drew him out of the water. You know, when I was studying in the Free Church College or uh, Edinburgh Theological Seminary, as it's now known, if I was running late for class, uh, I would often buy my much-needed morning coffee uh, from the cafe downstairs. And if you've ever been to uh, the Free Church College, uh, you'll know that it's situated in in a beautiful location in the capital city of our nation. It's in Edinburgh, and it's in the center of Edinburgh. And if you've never been to the Free Church College, I'd encourage you to go. You need to pay a visit to the Free Church College because it's not really only full of history. There's the Presbytery Hall. It's an amazing hall to see. And there's also this great disruption painting uh, that was painted after uh, the disruption in 1843. But the Free Church College itself, it's also surrounded uh, by history. There's New College that is right next door. There's Edinburgh Castle just up the road. There's the uh, Sir Walter Scott Monument, which is just through uh, Princess Street Gardens. And there's also St. Giles Church, which is just a few steps away. And so it's great to visit Edinburgh. It's great to go to the Free Church College. But when I was studying at the Free Church College, I would often buy my morning coffee from the cafe on the ground floor of the college. And the cafe had since changed its owner and changed its name. But when I was there, the cafe was called Cafe Musa. Cafe Musa, which seems like a strange name for a cafe. But there was a reason behind it. Uh, Sue was the name of the owner of Cafe Musa. Uh, She was a lovely woman. She was very friendly, very warm. Uh, And although she wasn't a Christian, Sue was very respectful of Christianity. And she was always aware of the fact that her cafe was located on the ground floor of a college that taught and trained ministers of the gospel. And of course, one day uh, when I was getting my morning fix, I asked Sue why she called her cafe Cafe Musa. And she explained that she called her cafe Cafe Musa uh, simply because it was on church grounds. It was the ground floor of a free church building. It was also surrounded by church history, and so she wanted to give it a biblical name. And so she came up with Cafe Musa, because Musa is the Hebrew for Moses. Musa is the Hebrew for Moses. And as we read there in verse 10, the name Moses or Musa, it means, I drew him out of the water. I drew him out of the water. And so this morning, I want us to think that we are at Cafe Musa as we come to God's Word, because it's around God's Word that we find refreshment. We find refreshment for our soul. And so this morning, we're at Cafe Musa, and I want us to notice three things at Cafe Musa. We see protecting Musa, preserving Musa, 
and preparing Musa. Protecting Musa, preserving Musa, and preparing Musa. So first of all, protecting Musa. Protecting Musa. If you go to chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, or hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with pitch, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. As you know, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he was someone who feared man. We saw that last Lord's Day. He feared the Israelites. He feared the Israelites because they were many, they were mighty, and they were multiplying. And Pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites. He was afraid that they would outgrow him or outgrow the Egyptians and out, out, outnumber all the Egyptians. And ultimately, he, they would defeat them and destroy the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh, we saw last Lord's Day, he instituted a paranoid plan and even a policy of slaughter where he declared and he decreed to the whole nation, as we read there in verse 22, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And with Pharaoh's paranoid plan in place, many of the Israelites, they lived in fear. But for the parents of Musa or Moses, they didn't live in fear. They lived by faith. They lived and acted by faith. And we're told that in in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament. We're told that by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, although they're not mentioned in the narrative, the parents of Moses were called Amram and Jochebed. And Moses, he also had two siblings. He had an older sister called Miriam, and he had a brother that was only three years older than him, called Aaron. But when Moses was born during Pharaoh's policy of of slaughter, there was no way that Moses' mother, Jochebed, was going to kill her own son. There was no way she was going to throw him into the Nile and let him drown, especially because when Moses was born, we're told that he was a beautiful child. He was a goodly child. He was a fine child. In other words, when Amram and Jochebed looked at their son Moses, they knew that the Lord had a plan and purpose for this child's life. They knew that the Lord had something for their son. And by faith, they knew that the Lord was going to use Moses by his grace, for his good, and ultimately to his own glory. They knew that Moses was going to be the superhero in the story of the Exodus not because he had special superpowers to defeat and destroy Pharaoh, but he was going to be the superhero simply because the Lord was protecting Musa. The Lord was protecting Musa. And that's what we see in this narrative in Exodus 2. Because when Jochebed could no longer hide her three-month-old son, she made a basket, as we read, a basket from bulrushes and bitumen, 
And in an act of faith, this young woman, she placed her three-month-old son into the Moses basket, as we were showing the children. She placed it into a Moses basket and onto the River Nile. And you know, it's fascinating that, don't you find it fascinating that the term Moses basket, it comes from this chapter in the Bible. But also the word basket, children, are you listening? The word basket used here in the narrative is actually the word ark. It's the word ark. There are only two places in the Old Testament where the word ark is used. One is here, and the other is, of course, Noah's ark. Noah's ark, as you know, was a vehicle of salvation. It was the means by which Noah and his family and all the animals inside, they were all safe and secure in the ark while God flooded the world in judgment. And what you could say about Noah's ark was that there was death all around, but salvation within. There was death all around Noah's ark, and, but salvation within the ark. And in many ways, that's why Moses' basket was referred to in Hebrew as an ark. It was a means of protecting Musa. It was a means of protecting Musa. It was this vehicle of salvation, especially when death was all around him. All the Hebrew boys were being thrown into the river to be drowned. Death was all around him, but life and salvation was found inside the ark. There was death all around, but salvation within. And you know, my unconverted friend here this morning, that's why the gospel emphasizes and exhorts and encourages you to come to Christ. Simply to come to this Christ. Why? Because death is all around us. But salvation is found within Christ. Death is all around us, but salvation is to be found only in Jesus Christ. And you know, as a community, as you all know, we've been reminded of that fact time and time again in the past number of weeks. We've been reminded that death is all around us and that the wages of sin is death. Life is uncertain. Death is sure. Sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. Death is all around us, but life and salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But you know, the real reason, I think, that the Moses basket was referred to as an ark was because like Noah's ark, like Noah's ark, it was sailed and steered by the captain of salvation, Jesus Christ. As you know, when Noah built the ark, which the ark was, it wasn't a ship, it was just a box, a box-shaped boat. It didn't have a bow, it didn't have a stern, it didn't have sails or oars or a rudder. It was just a box-shaped boat made from wood and pitch, just like the, the Moses basket. And it was put or it was floated by all the water, and it, was sa it sailed upon the earth for months. But the thing about Noah's ark was that it was guided, and it was directed, as you read in Genesis, it was directed to rest upon Mount Ararat. It was sailed and steered by the captain of salvation, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Moses basket, this Moses basket of bulrushes and bitumen with a baby inside it, that's why it's referred to as an ark. 
because it was sailed and steered by the captain of salvation. And it was sailed and steered right to its desired haven, which is what we read in verse 5. It says, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, as everyone knows, you're not to leave young children unattended especially when they're swimming. But when Jochebed placed her helpless baby Musa into the river Nile, she did so trusting that the Lord would sail and steer that Moses basket in such a way that that goodly child, that beautiful child, would be the superhero in the story of the Exodus. And you know, my friend, it was an incredible act of faith for a young woman to place her three-month-old baby in a basket on the River Nile that was overcrowded by crocodiles. Now listen, and as you would expect, well, crocodiles in a river, it would have the baby for breakfast. In fact, River Nile crocodiles, they are the largest crocodiles in Africa. They grow over 16 feet in length, They weigh over half a ton in weight, and they swim at up to speeds of 20 miles per hour. The River Nile, it wouldn't have been somewhere you would want children to go paddling, let alone push your three-month-old down a river in. And yet, while the Lord was there, the Lord was protecting Musa. The Lord was protecting Musa. The Lord was steering and sailing this Moses basket down the River Nile right to where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. And you know, I don't think Jochebed, as a mother, ever thought that out of all the people in Egypt, she never thought that out of all the people in Egypt, the person to find her son would be the daughter of the man who is trying to kill her son. But my friend, it ought to be a wonderful reminder and reassurance to us that despite our faults and our failings and our fears about the future, when we have to let go and when we have to walk by faith and not by sight, we need to remember that our darkness is as light to the Lord. We need to remember that our darkness is as light to the Lord because the Lord is able to work even in the darkest and most difficult circumstances and situations in our lives. The Lord is able to work by His grace for our good and to His glory. The Lord is able to use our sins and our sicknesses, our sufferings, our sorrows, and our sadnesses in life to bring about His perfect plan of providence and protection. That's the wonder of who our Lord is. He's able to use everything in our lives to work out His perfect plan of providence and even protection. And so we see, first of all, protecting Musa. Protecting Musa. But then secondly, we see preserving Musa. So protecting Musa and preserving Musa. Look at verse 9. We read there that, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, 
and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked upon their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand." You know, when Pharaoh's daughter found baby Musa floating down the River Nile in a basket of bulrushes and bitumen, you know, in obedience to the instruction of her father's paranoid plan and policy of of slaughter, she should have, she should have immediately drowned little Musa in the Nile. That's what she should have done if she was going to listen to what her father had decreed to the nation. But as we read, when Pharaoh's daughter saw Musa, when she saw that he was crying, she had pity on him. She had compassion on him. She loved little Musa. And it's at this point that we read that Miriam steps forward. Miriam had been watching from the riverbank the whole time. She'd been following the Moses basket as it went down the river Nile. And she saw the whole event unfolding before her eyes. And when she saw that Pharaoh's daughter didn't drown her little baby brother, Miriam then boldly and bravely, she suggested that she would go and find a woman who would nurse little Musa. And of course, well, who's Miriam going to find to go and nurse this little baby except the mother? Her own mother, Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And you know, don't you find the Lord amazing in this passage? The Lord is incredible in this passage. He's working it all together for good. Because here's Jochebed. Here's this mother placing her basket in, into the Nile. She's entrusting, she's entrusting her little son into the care of the Lord. And you know, as any parent would in that situation, after the Moses basket had floated away out of sight, Jochebed probably went home praying and pleading with the Lord, asking the Lord to look after her son, asking the Lord to fulfill his promises to her. But, you know, little did Jochebed ever think that a few hours later her daughter Miriam would turn up at the front door saying, come, come, I need to tell you something. Pharaoh's daughter wants you to nurse Musa until he's old enough to come and live in the palace. And more than that, the amazing thing about how the Lord worked all this together for good, Jochebed not only receives her son alive again, she's also paid to look after him. She's paid to look after her own child. Imagine that. Imagine the state paying to, for you to look after your own children. It's amazing. It's better than she could have asked for. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, more than we could ask or even think. And that's what happened with Jochebed. It's an an amazing turn of events which proves that the Lord was protecting and even preserving little Musa. And for Jochebed, she had given her son into the care of the Lord, and the Lord had been faithful to his promises. You know, Jochebed... She literally did as Solomon commands in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's a wonderful verse. 
Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the water, and it will return to you after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters, and it will return to you after many days. You know, I I don't know about you, but as a parent with children growing up in a world that is calling out for their soul in so many different ways, the world is calling out for their soul. And, you know, it confronts and challenges me that I need to be like Jochebed and Amram. I need to cast my bread upon the water. I need to entrust my children into the protection and preservation of the Lord. I need to plead and pray that the Lord will be their captain and that he will sail and steer their life in a way of safety and security and salvation. Because as you know, my Christian friend, as you know only too well, we can't convert our children. We can't convert them. We can't even convert our spouse or our siblings. As much as we want them to be saved, we cannot convert them. All we can do is act in faith like Jochebed. All we can do is prayerfully entrust them into the care and the keeping of the Lord. All we can do is cast our bread upon the water, praying that in many days it will return to us. So Jochebed is a wonderful reminder to us to keep praying and to keep pleading for your children or your grandchildren or your siblings, or your husband, or your wife, to keep pleading that they'll come to know the Lord and trust the Lord. But then we read in verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, or Musa, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, it's not clear at what age uh, Jochebed would have brought Moses uh, to Pharaoh's daughter to be legally adopted as her son. It may have been the age of two or three after Moses had been weaned from his mother, but it was more likely the age of nine or ten, so about Jonathan and David's age, the age of nine or ten. Uh, I'm not sure how old Danny is. He might be nine or ten by now. But around the age of nine or ten, and That was the age when an Egyptian, a young Egyptian prince, would begin his military training. So imagine being trained at the age of nine or ten to to fight. Because at the age of nine or ten, Moses, he would have been brought up as a Hebrew, first of all, from birth to age nine or ten, brought up as a Hebrew. And as a Hebrew, he would have been taught that he was a descendant of Abraham who was the father of the covenant promise. He would have been taught all about what the Bible teaches us in the the early parts of the book of Genesis. He would have been taught that uh, the Lord was faithful to his covenant promises, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He would have been taught how they ended up in the land of Egypt because Joseph was the prime minister. They would have been taught of, he would have been taught about how the Lord had protected and preserved and provided for them as a people. Moses would have even been taught about Pharaoh's paranoid plan and his his public policy of slaughter and how the Lord had still protected and preserved Musa from death. You know, we can often underestimate how much children are actually taking in and learning. And I'm sure the Sunday school teachers know this. 
from their own experience. Because by the age of nine or ten, they're taking it all in, even before then. They're soaking it all in like a sponge, which should remind us the importance of teaching our children when they're young. But for Moses, he not only had an Israelite education, he was also given an Egyptian education. Because as Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace, he would have grown up as Pharaoh's adopted grandson, and he was educated as a prince of Egypt. And at that time, the Egyptian education was the best education in the world. It was like going to Oxford or Cambridge. And I say it was the best education because Moses would not only have been tutored and taught the Egyptian language, he would have also been immersed in the Egyptian education system to learn history, astronomy, chemistry, theology, philosophy, and even law. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that Moses learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was given one of the best educations in the world. And what's remarkable is that he was being taught and trained. Why? Because he was going to be the leader of God's people. And the amazing thing is he was being taught and trained right under the nose of Pharaoh. But I'm sure Pharaoh must have wondered why Moses was still alive. He must have wondered why Moses was in the palace at all. But in order to keep his daughter happy, Pharaoh probably kept his mouth shut. Or maybe Pharaoh thought, well, what harm is one Hebrew boy going to do to my kingdom and my empire? But as you know, my friend, one man with God is always the majority. One man with God is always the majority. And in the Lord's perfect plan and purpose, the Lord was protecting and preserving Musa. The Lord was going to use his education and his experience to teach and train Moses to be the leader of God's people and also the superhero in the story of the Exodus. But you know what's remarkable about it all is that it took nearly 80 years to teach and train Moses to be ready to lead God's people. It took him 80 years, and yet we expect three years in a theological college and two placements in some vacancy to teach and train a minister to lead God's people. You know, when you look at it, it took 80 years for Moses to be ready to lead God's people. Because even though Moses had an education, the best education, he didn't have experience. Even though Moses had an education, he didn't have experience. In fact, it was his lack of experience and his lack of wisdom and his discernment which caused the death of an Egyptian. That's what we see in verse 11, where it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, those verses in verses 11 to 15, it's believed that Moses was around the age of 40 
when that situation took place. But, you know, by the way the passage is worded, it suggests that Moses knew, and he always knew, maybe his mother told him that he was a beautiful child and a goodly child. Moses knew that his higher calling was not to be in the palace of Egypt. Moses knew that the Lord had placed a calling upon his life to serve him and to be the Savior of his people. Moses knew that the Lord was calling him to be the hero of the Exodus. And Moses was wrestling with this call upon his life, as many ministers do when the Lord is calling them. They wrestle with this call upon their life. But, you know, Moses could see in the Lord's providence how the Lord had protected him and preserved him. Moses could see that the Lord had provided the best education for him in order to teach and train him to be the leader of God's people. But as we said, even though Moses had an education, he didn't have experience. He had an education, but he didn't have experience. Which is why Moses, as we read in verses 11 to 15, when Moses did his own thing and took things into his own hands and sought to do things his own way and in his own time and in his own strength, it ended in disaster. And that's the same with us, is it not? My friend, when we do our own thing and take things into our own hands and go our own way and do things in our own time and in our own strength, it always ends in disaster. And that's what happened to Moses. He had an education, but he needed experience before he could lead God's people. He had an education, but he needed experience before he could lead God's people. But the thing about Moses was that he had a teachable spirit. And that's crucial for someone who's going to serve the Lord. They need a teachable spirit. They need to be taught of the Lord. And that's because Moses, he wasn't interested in the pomp and and the position and prominence of an Egyptian prince. Moses wasn't interested in status. Moses was interested in service. Moses wanted to serve the Lord. And needless to say, that's the example we're to follow as Christians, as deacons, as elders, as a minister. Because in God's kingdom, we're not to seek a position of status. No, the example is Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to a position of service. So in God's kingdom, we're not to seek status. We're to seek service. Which brings us uh, to consider lastly, and very, very briefly, preparing Musa, how the Lord prepared Musa. So protecting Musa, then we see preserving Musa, and lastly, preparing Musa. Preparing Musa. Look at verse 16. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, I don't want to spoil the story of the Exodus for you, but Moses lived until he was 120 years old. Moses lived until he was 120 years old. And it was the 19th century uh, American evangelist, D.L. Moody, he said, 
Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And in his final 40 years, he discovered what God can do with anybody. I'll read that again. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent the next 40 years learning that he was a nobody. And in his final 40 years, from 80 to 120, he discovered what God can do with anybody. And so in his first 40 years, Moses was educated in Egypt. But for the next 40 years of his life, Moses gained experience in Midian. And you know, it's remarkable that this one chapter, Exodus chapter 2, it covers an 80-year period in the life of Moses. But what this one chapter is reminding and reaffirming to us is that Moses had to be taught and trained to be a leader of God's people. Moses had to be taught and trained in order to be the leader of God's people. And in that process, the Lord was protecting Musa, he was preserving Musa, and the Lord was also preparing Musa through all his education and his experience. Because in the perfect providence of God, as we read in Exodus chapter 2, Moses met his future wife called Zipporah. She met, he met her at a well. And in time, they got married. Moses and Zipporah got married, and they had a son, a son called Gershom. And Moses, for that 40-year period where he was gaining experience, he worked for his father-in-law, Jethro, by looking after his flock. He was a shepherd. He was given the role as a shepherd over sheep before he was given the role of a shepherd over God's people. But, you know, it was through all these life changes in Moses' life that he gained experience. He gained experience as a husband, as a father, and as a shepherd. My friend, the Lord used his education in Egypt and his experiences in Midian in order to prepare Musa to be the superhero of the story and the leader of God's people. And you know, it ought to be a wonderful reminder and reassurance to us that nothing is wasted with the Lord. Nothing is wasted with the Lord. You know, my friend, you might have gone through painful providences of sickness and sorrow. You might have encountered enemies or slipped into sin for a time. But none of that is even wasted with the Lord. Because the Lord will use your education. The Lord will use your experiences to support and serve others and also His kingdom. The Lord will use your education and your experiences to serve others and His kingdom. But you know, what you need to do and what I need to do is that we need to be wanting. We need to be willing to serve the Lord and seek His glory. We need to be wanting and willing to serve the Lord and seek His glory in our congregation and in our own community. We need to be witnesses that are wanting and willing not to seek a position of status, but a position of service. We need to be wanting and willing to come before the Lord and say with Isaiah, Here am I. Send me. Use me. Enable me to serve you for your glory. Because, my Christian friend, as you know, we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. 
And you might think, as we'll probably consider this next time more, you might think, I'm not good enough. I'm not old enough. Or maybe you might say, I'm too old. But you know, nothing is wasted with the Lord. Nothing is wasted with the Lord. The Lord uses our education. He uses our experience to support and serve others and his kingdom. Why? Because, you know, Exodus chapter 2, it actually teaches us a very important lesson. The Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips those whom he calls. The Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips those whom he calls. And as Christians, he has called us to salvation. He's called us from darkness into light. He's called us to service. We have been saved to serve. Therefore, as Christians, we should be wanting and willing to serve the Lord and seek his glory in our congregation and within our community. We're to be witnesses that are working for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom. And so as we find refreshment this morning at Cafe Musa, we see that the Lord was protecting Musa, preserving Musa, and preparing Musa to be the leader of God's people and the superhero in the story of the Exodus. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Uh, let us pray together. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for that wonderful reminder that nothing in our lives is wasted, that Lord, the God who uses everything in our experience to teach us and to train us to serve Thee and to serve Thy kingdom. And Lord, that we would see the experiences that we've gone through and even the education that we have gained, that we would see these as things that the Lord has given to us in order to serve Him and to bring glory to His name, to help others and to help the kingdom. And Lord, we do pray that we would be willing, that we would have willing hearts, that we would be willing to work and to witness for the King who is so faithful to us, our King Jesus. Lord, we give thanks to Thee for, for Thy Word and for the assurance it gives to us and the promises that are in it. Help us, Lord, to lean upon them. Help us to rest in them. Help us to be refreshed at Thy footstool today and to be encouraged to keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Cleanse us then, we pray. Take away our iniquity. Receive us graciously, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again in conclusion. We're going to sing from Psalm 73. Psalm 73, it's in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 316, if you're using the Blue Psalm book. Psalm 73, from verse 23, and down to the verse marked 26. Nevertheless, continually, O Lord, I am with thee. Thou dost me hold by my right hand, and still upholdest me. Thou with thy counsel while I live, wilt me conduct and guide, and to thy glory afterward receive me to abide. And we'll sing down to the verse marked 26 of Psalm 73, to God's praise. <laughs>
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, boys and girls, I hope you were listening. Yes? Were you? Okay, first question. What is the word that the Bible uses to describe the Moses basket? An ark. Was it, what was it, Jonathan? An ark. Did you get that? Did the Ustjoks get it, yeah? You got that one. Okay. How fast can a river crocodile swim? What is it? 20 miles per hour. Yes? You agree? You agree with that one? Okay. Last question. Seeing you're all listening. Or maybe last the adults, this one. How old was Moses when he died? What was it? 120. That's old, isn't it? Really old. So that's a good answer. So we'll have to get you sweets. I don't know where they are, but I'll find them.